listening to White Truck. Welcome to What the Truck. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude. Another another dark day, man. Yeah, it's uh, senseless violence. I, I don't know what this. I wish uh, there wasn't so much anger and and people got the proper health. Obviously, uh, mental health is in in question here. I would think, right? I would think so. And for what it's, I mean, our, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. I, I am from the FedEx family. I worked at FedEx Trade Networks for years, and um, it, it's a sad thing to see. And it, it, it hits a little bit personally when it does there, too. Not that it's any worse or better than any other shooting. It just it it, it hits a little bit different when it's, uh, you know, it's something you know. You yeah. Know that culture. Yeah. You, know the, you know a lot of those people. Now, I don't know them personally of that one, but I know the FedEx family. Yeah. Our prayers and condolences to the families of everybody involved, really. Absolutely. Um, uh, peace and love. Absolutely. Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the next stage in autonomous trucking. What does the Canadian Tire Corporation and Newport Robotics Inc. partnership mean for Ontario's Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network? Um, How mature is the technology? And like we've mentioned on here before, we're hearing a lot of drivers are getting nervous about it. Well, how mature is this technology? How worried should you be? We'll find out. We'll talk to uh, talk to a brilliant guest about that. Plus, Tive has launched a 24-hour monitoring, a shipment monitoring system that's going to augment teams. Yeah. Uh, Molo, Molo Solutions, Andrew Silver, who, speaking of mental health, I did a Freight Waves Insiders with him on that. Oh, that's right. Very yeah. important focus. You can find that on podcast players everywhere. You know, speak to someone if you're ever having trouble out there. But they're taking Nashville, so very exciting time for their team. I know they had a, they closed out last year very strongly, so that, and this year they're doing very well. They're taking advantage of this great market, moving into Nashville. We're also going to be talking about the state of driver recruiting and how a pastry led to a climate of fear in Poland. (laughs) Well, let's talk about something here. Apparently, there's a drawbridge in Daytona that people keep jumping. Let's take a look at this. Um, As car and driver said, a Hyundai Santa Fe is the latest vehicle to go all Blues Brothers on the Main Street Bridge in Daytona Beach. (laughs) And this isn't the first time. When I was Googling this story to get even more context to it, there was, whoa, there we go. There was more... (laughs) <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's the same, same footage right there. That's before the bridge was put <laughs> in. That's before the bridge was That there. was before the bridge was put in. There was a motorcycle that jumped it. I guess this is pretty um and if you guys saw that guy's windshield, he destroyed his well, windshield. Completely destroyed his windshield. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that video that played at the end was a joke, but you you saw something online about where were the people falling off the drawbridge? So 2019, uh two Texans uh met two Texas men died trying to jump a drawbridge like that uh in a Chevy Cruze. They yeah, they drowned. You gotta be careful. It's not not Anything don't drop the, don't don't cross the train tracks or don't run the train tracks don't run the drawbridge. No, it's not that important. Yeah, it isn't worth it. it All really right, no, is. it is important. We got to tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Redwood, a leading logistics platform company. They've provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than twenty years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as El Pass and Redwood Connect yeah. that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at tell them, dude. Redwood logistics.com immediately after the show. And we're jumping right into guests today. We, we already have Krenar Komani here. He's a CEO at Tive, and I believe that he resides over in my uh, old stomping grounds in Boston. Krenar, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks thanks for having me, Dorner. Really excited to see you guys. Yeah, I mean, for people who did, Kat, you were, you were on the show not too long ago, but people who didn't, just a real quick one-two on who you are and uh, who Tive is. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Krenar. I'm the CEO and founder here at Tive. We're in a beautiful, snowy Charlestown, Mass, uh, <laughs> close to Boston. From Boston. Is it snowing, snowing there today? Here, just, uh, <laughs> 
Can I get off and show you? Yeah, oh, yeah, I would. I'd like to see anyway. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Oh, oh wow! Yay! Not good. Exactly. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> just as they say in Boston, um, if you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Wait a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. So what we do here at Time is we provide in transit visibility data around what's happening with shipments. We have these uh, little trackers that customers just literally at the at the dog just turn them on. Put them on a, a load and we can tell them anywhere in the globe where the shipments are and what the condition of the shipments are. Is they hot? Did the temperature get too hot? Did it get too cold? Did somebody open the trailer uh, container all in real time? It's been amazing. Uh, we've grown. We almost doubled this quarter. So it's been, it's been super fast growth. Well, Michael was investigating you here, and uh, I was. Learned, you have a <laughs> he had an amazing background in cellular technology too, right? Like big, big passion project. You're doing some really interesting stuff, especially over with uh, with MIT, and now it's all kind of coming together with with Tive, and you're launching a 24 seven monitoring system that's going to help shipping teams. Tell us about it. it. Sounds really exciting. Yeah, what we noticed is uh, we 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 sell these trackers, and we do really well, and customers know what's happening with them, but. Let's say a temperature of a reefer hits 40 degrees Fahrenheit for a couple of hours, then our customer gets an alert. Then the customers have to go and call the carrier, call the truck driver, do all that work. So what we're saying is, why don't we take that load off of our shippers, off of logistic service providers and help them monitor these shipments? And that's, that's I mean, a simplistic way, that's what we're doing. <laughs> It's interesting. So people talk about visibility all the time and the need for visibility, but it's not just location, is it? Can you talk to the deep visibility of actually what you're providing there? It's not just, hey, it's sitting here and ETA is this. Uh, yeah, it's not just the location. For us, it's also temperature. So condition of pharmaceuticals, condition of food, perishables, think berries, think asparagus, think uh, pharmaceuticals. The other part that we provide is also we have a light sensor so we can tell when it's a cross-border and uh, the trailer opens, we can tell you where, who, when and who, where it got opened. If uh, it arrives at a warehouse, we can tell you exactly when the tra trailer got unloaded. Uh, so that's important for security reasons. Uh, the other part is shock. So we, what we do is measure shock events with this little tracker. And if you're shipping servers, if you're shipping equipment like HVACs or things of that nature, you wanna make sure there's no dents, there's no issues, they're not tilting. We can monitor those in real time, and if there's a shock event, we'll know exactly. So it's not just location, it's visibility beyond that. And again, what we noticed is it's okay to show that data and provide customers alerts, but sometimes customers don't have teams of 24-7, right, working on weekends at nights at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. We want to make sure that our teams are going to be there to watch these shipments. You tell us what we need to watch for, and we'll take care of it. Wow. 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 So what's that's, the? I mean, that. that's nice. You're just launching it. So what? But what has the reception been, or what has the demand been that led to you creating the platform? It's uh, it's one of those things where you notice some customers ask for it, and you start digging a little bit more and ask other customers that you have. We have now almost uh, we have 136 customers. So we ask some of the customers, hey, what if? You tell us what you have a team that's doing. They're like, yeah, I have a track and trace team or I have an operations team is doing watching these shipments. I'm like, what if you tell me what you're watching for? And if things escalate, I'll let you know, or I'll let the carrier know, or I'll let the shipping line know. But if it escalates beyond that, I'll let you know. Um, are you okay with, with something like that? And everybody's been uh, wanting a solution like this. It just, it's, it alleviates so much headache. It alleviates so much pain. 
it makes it easier for them to, to now understand the, the value of visibility. And with us, what's interesting is the data comes directly from this. And once you put it on the load, we can 99.99% rely that we know exactly where the shipment is and we know its condition. So we can provide a service like this. It's pretty, pretty exciting. That is pretty amazing. Uh, so, Krenmar, is that is that something that comes with that, or is that an add-on thing? Can people app, opt out of that and, and utilize their own people? Some people want that control themselves, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, this, is a, this is an add-on. So if you want it, we can figure out a way to, to, to add it on into the contract. Wow. I mean, it, it's one of those things that sounds really cool. It's easy to describe. I think people can wrap their head around it, especially people who have a need for it. So for those that do, where should we send them to so they can they can learn more? Just type.com. <laughs> Pretty easy. TIV.com or you just reach us out at sales at type.com. We're going to have more literature and more uh, press releases around this coming in a few weeks. I just wanted to Makes sure that you guys are the first to know. So I know it's an <laughs> it's honor. It's, it's an honor. It's a pre- we appreciate it. But before before we let you go, I, I'm a little homesick. So tell me what your favorite spot is in that Boston Cambridge area. Uh, Boston Cambridge area. What's my favorite spot? Um, I love the seaport mm. area. I just love love going there. It's uh, it's got amazing restaurants and it's love new new construction obviously happening. But it's just a nice place to to hang around and. It's close to the water. I that's that's what I love. <laughs> you know, a crazy, ten years ago, we used to just be like Anthony's Pier Four and the Seaport Hotel, and oh, it's is just that right? cr- and a couple empty parking lots, and it's crazy. Just and now it's just blown up, huh? Yeah, just completely. By the different. way, Anthony's Pier Four. Just a quick story, because I'm originally from Kosovo, which yeah. is I'm Albanian, but Anthony's Pier Four, the founder was Albanian. Oh no! Nice. And he came from Albania a long time ago and opened that place. And I think uh, that he's a lot of famous people went there. It was a pretty good the restaurant. Yeah, I, another one. Myself was supposed. I was supposed to get married there, so maybe you can send this guy a message. I was supposed no to get way. married there. <laughs> then they sold the spot in 2013, like three months yes. before our wedding. And um, fortunately, the Seaport Hotel found out about it, and they matched. We couldn't afford the Seaport Hotel. Yeah, they yeah, matched yeah. what um, oh, nice. what Anthony's was going See to charge that? us. So it worked out in the end. And thank you, Maria Stefanos at Fox 25 News. I hope she's still there. But uh, <laughs> a couple of people helped me get that done. But, <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, man. That's Enjoy. Awesome. Uh, Enjoy the beautiful they made a lot of money with that <laughs> Thank you so much. Take really it easy. Congrats on the launch. <laughs> nice. Take care. Very nice. <sighs> Mentioned Andrew Silver earlier. We, we talked did. about how we do that insiders on mental health. A lot of cool things going on with them. They're just expanding to Nashville. He's the CEO over at Molo Solutions. Yeah. Let's bring him up now out of lovely Chicago. Andrew Silver, you know, the tone of this interview just changed a little bit because when you wake up to news of a shooting at FedEx, it touches our industry a little bit too closely. I know we've keyed on mental health. I mean, what can we do about it? I, I, and I know you can't solve it. We can't solve it. But I don't know. It's getting scary and scary with workplace violence in these shootings, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, it, and, you know, you've got – there are just so many issues going on in the world. And with police brutality, there was a 13-year-old kid shot in Chicago not long ago that, that the video came out yesterday. You know, I, I have an appreciation, at least for our people, in the way that – they are sensitive to all that's going on and trying to support one another. There were several messages flying around in our Slack channels yesterday. It's been like, Hey guys, you know, be cognizant of what's going on. Let's, let's try to be supportive of one another now more than ever. I mean, in general, we try to be as supportive as we can, but you just got to be cognizant of what's going on in the world and make sure that your people feel that they have outlets to go to, to express um, whatever they're feeling in, in situations like this. Cause there's, you can't tell someone how to feel when, when, stuff like this is going on. So it, it, it's highly unfortunate. 
Yeah, you really can't. You can't judge people, and I think that's part of the part of the issue that we have with people reaching out for for help when they have uh, issues, whether they be emotional or mental or whatever you want to call it. Um, is being judged for how they're feeling, right? And, and if you lift that, then they can seek that health. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think we, we do a number of things that we try to allow our people to feel comfortable opening up, whether it's, you know, like I said, you know, we have a morning dispatch once a week that I think I talked about um, yeah. on, on that interview we did. Um, we had a guy send one out this morning, a guy who I've worked with for 10 years, and he explained some of the struggles he's dealt with recently with some family stuff. And it just, it touched, it it, it gives me an insight into what he's dealing with. And it, and it gives a lot of other people an opportunity to think, okay, you know, this is someone who's dealt with maybe something similar that I've dealt with. I can reach out to them and know that they're comfortable talking about it. And that might help me with a, an issue I'll have in the future. That's that's the best we can do, really, is just make sure that we're here for one another. Amen. Speaking of, you are sending some of your people down our way. You're, you're going to be neighbors with us over in Nashville. We want to congratulate you on opening this new office. What what led to it? Tell, tell us all about it. Yeah, so, you know, to be honest, it, it, it had to do with hiring Ryan Dent, which we did a few years ago. And um, just a, a really, really awesome guy that that I've gotten to know and work with now. And one of the hardest working people I've literally ever met in my life and, and incredibly appreciative of what he's done for us. And part of the deal we made with him was, hey, you know, give us a year or so in Chicago, come help us build out our carrier team and our pricing strategy. And and then once once that's done, well, it'll never be done. But once you put your time in there, we'll allow you to open an office down south. And he's from Nashville. We looked at a couple of places. We looked at Asheville. We looked at Charleston. Uh, ultimately Nashville is where he wanted to be. And I was comfortable with it. Plenty of fun, fun things to do down there. And I know that a, a young hungry group of people that will continue to hire will want to be in that type of area. That's awesome. So Andrew, you know, you, you have all these different milestones as you're, as you're growing and, and you guys are certainly, certainly growing. And you recently hit one of those milestones. You're looking at a thousand loads booked in a single day, wow. right? Can you talk to how, who made that happen? How did that go? Did you do that all by yourself? <laughs> No, <laughs> not even close. I mean, you, you, you got to understand these people are the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. And, and they just are so we all believe in what we're doing. And it's as simple as that. We believe that we can create a better experience for the drivers and for the customers and frankly, for one another that we work with here. And as a result, this is the product of that effort put in day in and day out for three and a half years, right? I did not think that we would get to a thousand loads a day that quickly. We wanted to go fast. We needed to build a network. We can't compete with Robinson, Coyote, some of these larger companies in terms of our buying power unless we have that kind of freight. I mean, we've got to be moving thousands of loads a day to have the network effects that allow us to be more efficient in what we buy at. And uh, it's incredible. I didn't expect it to happen this fast, but I'm not surprised. I really am not just because of the way that these people show up and execute every day. Um, you know, we talked yesterday in, in one of our company wide meetings about how when you're faced with adversity, you really have two choices. You can run towards that problem and deal with it head on, or you can run away from it. And, and that applies in your personal life and professionally. And, and the beautiful thing to me, at least about these people is that we've never backed down from an opportunity, a challenge, any type of adversity we faced as a group, we stick together and we, we, we figure it out, we fight through it. And then, and as a result, you know, that that's how we got here. Year ago, if we were having this conversation, it would probably be a bit different. You know, rates were in the tank, companies were running scared, they were cutting headcounts, and things quickly turned around. But 
How did how did this growth happen for you coming from March, April of last year to all of a sudden doing a thousand loads a day and opening, expanding into Nashville? It, it seems like quite a turnaround from a bad circumstance. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it was. It, it, yeah, I wish I could say that we were we had planned to to deal with that. I mean, we didn't. I just think that like our values put us in a position where whatever adversity we face, if we stick to those values, we'll be okay. And, and, you know, it, it was challenging obviously for us, right? So part of the value prop to us is the service we provide to our customers and our shipper customers, that is. And um, in, in doing so, we want to be able to uphold all the commitments we make, whether they're for a month or a year. And, and the biggest challenge this past year was the fact that rates had soared and, and we were faced with that decision of, hey, do we stand by these rates or do we bail? And, and if we bail, are we just like everybody else? And so for us, we 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 stood by them, and and that led to trying times for a while. But it put us in a position to grow substantially, put us in a position where our customers believed in what we were doing and and understood why we were doing it. And as a result, you know, it, it's it's paid off in a lot of ways, and we're continuing to grow and continue to see the partnerships develop with these customers. So Andrew, uh, you know. It, it, <laughs> You catch you you run into these uh, organizations, football teams, et cetera, and companies that catch this lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah. Where you, you've got everybody who's you say we believe in what we're doing, right? And getting that down to each and every person, you've got people who are booking five loads are now doing twenty five loads, et cetera. It's really amazing stuff. Is there is there a magic sauce there? How, what what is it magic behind there that you've got everybody on the same page moving? Give us some insight. It has to be genuine. You have to believe it to your core. Uh, and I do. And it's not me. It's it's Matt Bogrich. It's the rest of our leadership team. Every single one of us believes in what we're doing. And, and that trickles down. It gets to the management team and those managers see, hey, look at where this business was three years ago. How did we get to this point? We got here because we stuck by our values. We got here because we treated drivers well and took care of them. We got here because we supported one another and built one another up and we're cheering for one another's successes. We got here finally because of the way we took care of our customers and the fact that when they need us most, they know they can call us and we'll pick up the phone and we'll be there. And I just think we want it more than other companies. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that other companies can't replicate it. Absolutely they can. I, the, the special sauce is not in technology. I mean, you need the technology to support everything that you're doing. And I don't think that our special sauce is that innovative. I don't. I think that others could replicate it if they if they were willing to and willing to put in that effort and willing to, to make the right decisions that maybe in the short term don't seem as profitable as 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 other decisions would be. And I think that's you got to get rid of the greed factor a little bit. And, and I think that that's one of the things we've done a really good job is is helping people understand the reason we are successful is because of the way we've behaved and because of the way we've executed. You recently put on LinkedIn with the end of Q1, we finally can say goodbye to the last of our 2020 contractual rates. Is that a good thing? And what is the what is the negotiating contract market looking like right now in 2021? Is that a good thing? Yes, that's a good <laughs> thing. Are you kidding me? We made those agreements at the end of 2019 and early 2020. Rates are like freaking 40% higher. Yeah. Yes, it's a good thing. <laughs> um you know, we're in an interesting spot with with pricing agreements right now. I mean, you know, there were customers that I think in in early 2021. So, you know, the the bid cycle, some customers did their bids in late 2020, right, November, December, and I think at the time, a lot of brokers were thinking that the market would soften quite a bit in the second half of the year, and as a result, brokers were a little more aggressive on those bids. 
And those shippers that did bids in November, December, I think those guys are dealing with better rates than I think anybody else who's done bids recently, because right now it doesn't seem like things are slowing down. Uh, we've, in the last four months, got a lot more conservative in the pricing we've submitted for annual contracts, simply because what shippers know with us is we're not going to bail, right? You know, it's, it's one thing if I'm going to give you a low rate because in two months, if the market goes haywire, I'm going to bail on that rate. That's a different thing, right? But if we're going to if we're going to actually execute, we have to be a little more price conscious and and I guess conservative if we think the market's going to stay hot. Um, you know, I, we don't have the crystal ball, but I, you know, there's enough there's enough out there that makes us think that things aren't slowing down anytime soon. No, they probably aren't. And 35% of your business or so, I guess, uh, it changes all the time, but around 35% of your, your business is in, is in reefer, right? And we're talking about reefer almost half the loads being rejected across the oh, country yeah. right now, right? Capacity is extremely tight. And we're going into produce season. You've heard about this season that happens uh, every year in various parts of the country at different times. What are your thoughts on that? And what's that looking like for you guys? Uh, it's going to be messy. <laughs> I mean, reefer's <laughs> fun. It, 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 it's, it's certainly more challenging. It, it's, um, it's more difficult to commoditize. I will say that. I think that that's why I don't think you see some of the digital guys or the digital brokers as deep and refrigerated as we are. Um, and, and so I see that as a strategic advantage for us. It, you have to, if you can service refrigerated freight and, and do it well, you can pretty much handle anything. And, and so, you know, our, our people are set up to, to be able to take on some of those challenges and, you know, produce season happens every year and it happens in various parts of the country and rates go through the roof and you deal with difficult capacity and you figure out how to, how to navigate through it. I mean, having those relationships with carriers is, is the answer to dealing with that. Frankly, it's having, carriers that one want to work with you right because at this point a carrier can work with anybody they want i mean they can get well-paying freight from any broker so who are they going to pick right you got to think they're going to go with the company that they trust the company that they they know is has their best interest in mind the company that when issues happen will be there to take care of those issues i mean that's we've created our business around hey what is it that our carriers and customers want let's focus on giving them those things which has put us in a position where today we've got a lot of good relationships that we can lean on throughout produce season, whether it's in Florida, in the Southeast, or California out West, or the Northwest in Q3, Q4, wherever it may be. Yeah, I mean, perishables, they're losing value every second, right? Every oh, yeah. second they're in a truck, every second they're not on a shelf, they're yep. losing value. I used to deal with perishable fish. It's, it's uh, a lot of hand-holding. Molo is, if I understand correctly, you guys are, are a reefer native company, right? That was, that's kind of in your DNA and, and how you start out. Do you think that plays a big part in giving you a little bit of an advantage in operating in a tough market like this? Absolutely. I mean, that, that the, you know, the, our, our, at one point, 100% of our freight was refrigerated. Then we started landing more customers. Our initial investor was a produce company, so all we were doing was produce to start, and uh, that that has changed drastically. Right now, the number is about thirty five percent, but thirty five percent of a thousand is still three hundred fifty loads a day. If, if that's what we're doing in terms of refrigerated, it's a lot, and you end up developing relationships with some of the really good mid sized refrigerated carriers out there, um, and, and it puts us in a position where we can we can manage that that kind of volatility that shippers have and be there as a good support system for them. So, Andrew, as being an intermediary, and, and obviously you guys bring a, a lot of value add to to the to the industry and to your clients, both carriers and and shippers. But it always seems, you know, in my life as a as a broker and being an intermediary, you're always moving from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and either end is not all that great for a broker, right? When rates are really really low, it's hard to keep those margins, and when they're really high, it's hard to meet you, get those margins. How do you manage that? What's the key? So you don't really have a choice. I mean, you have to deal, you have to focus on what's within your control. And that's something I'm not great at, but like, 
I, I still am too emotional and looking at the ups and the downs and I'm trying to get better at that. I just stay even keel yeah. realizing that there are going to be ups and downs every year, right? They're going to be times of year when things are a little slower and times when it's going to be busier. You, you have to be very calculated about the con- contractual commitments you make, at least for someone who's trying to grow at the rate we are and get to the size we are. I mean, some companies want to be a little smaller. That's fine. That's not us. We want to be at the top of the list in terms of revenue and growth and, and profitability eventually. But I, I think that for us, it's saying, Hey, you know, if we think that we're going into a, a, an inflationary market, the rates are going to be rising, you know, we, we want to have less contractual freight, right? We maybe want 40% of our business to be contractual. You still need some of it as, as, as insurance as a way to keep the carriers happy with consistent business. Mm-hmm. But we want to be able to leverage more spot in those scenarios. Now, if you think it's deflationary and things are going to be start heading down, that's when you want to load up on contract. Right. And, and have be a 50, 60 percent in terms of that number uh, where we got caught essentially with our pants down last year was we were at like 65 percent contract mm-hmm. when rates were soaring. Right. And in those in that type of environment, there's not enough spot business for you to capitalize on to offset the losses you're going to take on your contractual stuff. So that that becomes a science and you have to be able to leverage data really well to to understand the right way to make those decisions, um, both nationally in terms of your overall volumes, but then regionally, if you look at each market individually and say, hey, in the Southeast, we're overweight. We've got 80% contract here. We need to load up on spot um, or cut, be, be more uh, conservative in any additional pricing exercises we have. You mentioned data, right? And, and um, I mean, you've been known a time or two to throw some shade at, at digital brokers, but I got to ask you, <laughs> which, uh, which freight tech do you think has helped Molo the most in, in the past year? What kind of solutions do you think have really enhanced what you do? Well, we, we, we use Power BI ourselves, and, and we have a team that's focused on building out all that and making sure that our team is, is able. It, it's all about being able to make the right decisions, and you have to be able to educate yourselves on what what is it that we're trying to get here, and, and, and leveraging the data to do that is important. And then, obviously, you know, we have a partner. Uh, they, they are, they are, we're not affiliated by any means, but we are their first customer. That's Mastery Logistics Systems. Uh, it's my father's company. Uh, they they are building out our software um, as we speak, and and kind of every day it gets a little bit better, and it allows us to be a little bit more efficient, automate a little bit more, um, and get to the point where, we're, frankly, we will be able to offer the same level of automation as as all of the digital brokers that I don't throw shade at. I just speak about <laughs> honestly. <laughs> hey, spin that wheel for him before we let him go. I was going to say, can I spin the wheel? Let's spin the wheel. Stupid question. Spin the wheel for him. I don't want to spread right, it like rounds goes for What do we got? There we go. Slow it down. All right. Here it thing. is. Here it is. All right. All right, Andrew, we're going to test your honesty here. You just found a long lost crypto wallet lying on the streets of Chicago. Spend it all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. But in it, $50 million in Dogecoin. How does that change your life, my friend? Does it change my life? I don't know. I'm not a big crypto guy. One of, one of my coworkers has been investing heavily in Bitcoin for the last like six years. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I'm like, dude, when you quit, like give me enough notice to fill your spot. Because I think he has no business still working at this point. He's been, I think like 70, 80% of his check every month goes into, it goes into Bitcoin. But in any case, I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's a ridiculous question. I, I don't have Dogecoin. I, I don't even know. I, I know what it is, but uh, not, not much more beyond that. I'm a trucks guy. Like keep me in freight. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. I, you know, our people, we're having fun. I, you know, 50 million bucks is, sounds great. Um, I, can I, do I have access? Is it mine or is it somebody yeah, else's? Yeah, no, it's yours. I mean, it's well, it, you found it. Finders keepers, my friend, I guess. Is, yeah, you is still have Molo? You, you need do something pass- else? I thought so you need one password and if you don't have the password, it doesn't work. Well, you just found the password in <laughs> you this found fictitious the password scenario. Too, so there you go. He's Basically, you just gave me $50 million. What do I do? 
No, yeah. you yes. found somebody else's $50 million. <laughs> but you it could be yours. It could be yours. If I find $50 million, I'm buying the Chicago Bears because that's about all they're worth. They oh, are wow. terrible. Oh, 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 oh. I, think, I think they would uh, mark and be valued at like a billion or whatever they might say. But the, the way that that team is run, it's no worth no more than $50 million, And I would put a lot of my time in trying to fix that. We would get a good quarterback. I'll tell you that. Beautiful. There you well, go. Okay, save that in the archives. So when we talk about this next year, you can't say, I don't throw shades at the Bears. I don't throw shade at the Bears. <laughs> Andrew. I throw shade at the Chicago Bears. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, you're the next quarterback of the Chicago Bears, and next year grows better. Take it easy, brother. We enjoyed your time today. Have a good one. Have See a good one. All right, now we're going to talk a little bit about autonomous trucks and this great partnership that uh, Newport Robotics has with um, what Canada's first, they have Canada's first automated heavy-duty trucking technology, and they're getting yeah. into a partnership with Canadian Tire. Sorry for fumbling that a little <laughs> it's bit. All right, man. right now, we have their co-founder and CEO. In Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, it's great to meet you. Uh, that, it's a pleasure to be on the show. This is awesome tech. And hey, whenever I talk about autonomous trucks, the example people always throw up is Canada. How are they going to operate in Canada in a cold environment and all of and, and all of those kind of things? So maybe you can shed some insight onto that. But before you do, introduce yourself to us and, and give us the elevator pitch on uh, Newport. Sure. So I'm Raghwinder Sadev. I'm the president, president and CEO of Newport Robotics. And my background has been for the last nine years in autonomous driving, robotics, computer vision, machine learning. And I've worked at multiple different startups in the past. So I'm a technology person with an entrepreneurial mindset who likes to bring big transformations in a particular chosen industry. So the goal is to build the next billion dollar company in the next five to eight years. So that's a bit about me. (laughs) And a little bit about the company is, so we built Newport in March of 2019 and with the goal to automate uh, supply chains using self-driving trucks. So we've seen autonomous driving being researched a lot but we don't still have a product. So our goal is to build these autonomous trucks onto the market. And we are specifically targeting short distances. So specifically intermodal drage operations, trucks that move from a shipping port or a nearby rail terminal to nearby distribution centers in the case of retailers. So we want to basically increase the efficiency and the throughput of these distribution centers. So that's our, and at the same time using eco-friendly technology reducing the fuel consumption because we feel that using our technology, we can hit all these goals at the same time lead to a more safer transportation system. Well, so that's seemed, a little brief it seems like Canadian tire corporation and the, uh, and the government over in Ontario, both uh, like what you have to say about this. So tell us about this partnership. What does it mean? What's going to happen? Sure. So it's a two year uh, project. Uh, it's a $3 million pilot uh, in which a million dollars is being contributed each from the government, Canadian Tire, and Newport Robotics, so towards the project cost. And the goal of the pilot is to demonstrate automated technology on a given set of predetermined routes uh, in the greater Toronto area and prove out qualitatively and quantitatively how using Newport's technology, things get more safe, like freight movement gets more safe. And at the same time, reduce the fuel consumption, increase the environmental impact uh, by reducing carbon emissions, so the a little bit about the project is uh, the goals of the project is what I mentioned just now, and on the technology side, uh, if you think about it, every truck equipped with Newport Robotics technology will be much more safer to be driven by a driver. So it's like te- uh, any ca- Teslas are known to have much lesser number of accidents than regular cars. 
So every truck in the future, that's the vision. Every truck that is equi equipped with Newport's technology will be having a more safer uh, outcome, lesser number of accidents, at the same time having a sustainable impact on the environment. So Raghavendra, let me ask you. Let me ask you really quickly about that because you're talking about, and I agree with you, uh, and I've seen that before. That you know the AV technology can certainly help the secure the safety of a of a driver assist type of thing. Is that what you're going for? Or are you going full autonomous? So initially, we are uh, working on building technology that is going to enhance the driver experience, make their uh, experience more enjoyable, uh, and increase their efficiency and safety. So that's what we are going for currently. So we hear a lot of fear from drivers. They're they're you know they're scared of autonomous yeah. trucks taking lowering rates, taking taking capacity away from them. Um, even though you know we're going to talk about a story later where there was three hundred there's three hundred thousand trucking jobs out there and only seventy thousand applicants. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> there's room to grow. But how how fearful should drivers be? How long do you think it will be before it's pretty commonplace for a truck to drive down the road? Um, over the road with no driver inside of it. Okay, so just to address that question, like you rightfully mentioned, there's a severe sh shortage of drivers in the industry. Using our technology, we are in a way addressing that because using our technology, we make the we enhance the experience of a driver at the same time increase the efficiency. So what a driver, what three, let's say what ten trucks could do today, tomorrow we might just need six trucks to do that. What that means is we just need six drivers and there is you're addressing mm. that 40% of driver shortage. So mm. at the end of the day, you are still, I mean, all drivers still have their job, but at the same time, you're addressing that driver shortage, mm. if you know what I mean. You're increasing yeah. the throughput using a technology. At the same time, you're addressing the driver shortage, which means it's a win-win situation for both uh, the technology companies and the drivers. So at the end of the day, everybody goes happy home. That's a, that's a, that's if a, that makes, if that yeah, makes no, that makes, per, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I hear that argument uh, loud and clear in this, in this uh, partnership with Canadian tire Corp. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talk about a first of its kind in the world technology. Oh. Can you uh, expand a little bit on that? Yes, for sure. So we've seen a lot of autonomous trucking companies, which are primarily focusing on long distances. So it's going to going from the West coast to the East coast. And there are multiple states involved, which means that there are multiple regulatory approvals that need to happen. For Newport, we are specifically focused on short distances, which means anything less than 25 miles is our sweet spot. Now, what that means is we haven't seen a, any other company in North America doing short distances. So that's why we say we are first of a kind of uh, technology deployed for class H semi-trucks. So heavy duty trucks, typically going from a distribution center to a nearby rail terminal, and if you think about it, most of these long-haul companies will need uh, to solve for the short-haul problem. So we are the company that is solving for that uh, issue, and we are using a retrofit technology to retrofit existing trucks, which is what we are shooting for to basically make a big breakthrough in the autonomous industry. Mm. So you're in mm. Canada. It's, you've been known to have some poor weather up up your way. What, yes. what happens when the thermometer drops, when you're talking about batteries, or you're talking about the cameras getting ice on them or, or, yeah. or blizzard conditions? How, what do the trucks do in those situations? Okay, so uh, we do have a threshold beyond which if there's a severe snowstorm, we would not be operating the trucks. Because for us, safety is of paramount importance. So if there's ever like a snowstorm or a blizzard, which is also pretty common in some of our clients, current scenarios, if there's a snowstorm, they don't operate the trucks. Uh, 
Mm. At the same time, if there's mild snow or rain, we do have technology which basically addresses this, making sure that there's the lenses are clean, the lidars, the cameras, the radars, the GPS are able to see uh, in severe weather con- inclement weather conditions as well. I'll give you an example. It is known that radars perform really well in snowy or rainy weather conditions, whereas cameras and lidars do not as much. So we rely on multiple sensor modalities to increase the accuracy and the performance of our systems. So, so uh, using yeah, we and in addition to that, sorry, we we collect extensive amounts of data in winter weather conditions. We are one of the first few companies uh, in the world which has snowy weather data for Class A trucks. So, so Raghavender, you know, you you're talking about less than 25 miles, and I think just just about everybody we speak to, uh, it's either in a, in a, a when they talk about real short distances, it's within a controlled setting, right? Like inside yes. a distribution center's uh, parameters, inside their fences, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're talking the long haul mile, right? The open road is the easier place to do this. You're taking it to the the 25 miles, where you would say. I, at least in my mind, I think there's a lot more complications in that. Why specifically did you go there? Is it because nobody else is going there? Because it doesn't seem like it's the easiest place to, to, to go after an AV. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So when you when we are doing short distances, you have more control over the problem, both from a business and a technical standpoint. What I mean by that is, if anything were to go wrong, we can address that right away within less than 15, 20 minutes. These trucks are running uh, in that particular set of uh, region where we have a remote monitoring center in close proximity. We already know how the route looks like. So you know where is the traffic sign, you know where are the lane markings, you exactly know each of the static objects present in the scene. So you have a very heavy, high-definition map of the entire route on which the truck is running. Mm. So that's how you actually simplify the problem uh, as opposed to when you're going long haul. Both long haul and short haul are fundamentally different problems from a technical standpoint, uh, because when we solve for short distances, the technology that is used is different than when you go for long distances on a highway. Highways, they're operating at uh, up to 70 miles an hour, uh, up to 120 kilometers per hour, pardon my usage of units. Uh, but in the roads that we are aiming at are running maximum around 60 to 80 kilometers per hour, which is around, I would say, around 40, mm-hmm. 40 45 miles an hour, if I'm not wrong on the math. Uh, but so these are, it's easy to prove out the safety, essentially. So that's why we are, and it's easy to prove out the safety. The, you can scale much faster. We can deploy quicker. So those are some of the reasons why we chose the market. It's not just because nobody else is there. I mean, that's a thing. And we do expect companies to enter this region, but we are the first movers in this space. So we are learning a lot uh, from our current experience, and we do hope to uh, expand on this uh, industry. Well, you passed the Canadian litmus test. You apologized for using the metric system. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely Canadian, right? <laughs> but so I get it. So this is this is a question here. So I wish it wasn't this way, but we know that freight is this way. Do you think it would put autonomous vehicles at a disadvantage that other brokers will be like, well, my driver will go in the snow, you know, and mm. the robots don't. They're they're too they're too safe. Do you think that that segments you away for it, or there's still enough of a market, and the people who want to be dangerous can still be dangerous? Uh, so d- is the question that will drivers driving in snow have an advantage over the robot? Mm. Well, because they know that the human driver is going to be forced to by his evil dispatcher to go and deliver that load. And he's going to get screamed at, he's going to get yelled at, where you can't really call up a robot and scream at it and yell at it, unless you have these things talking like Kit now. <laughs> uh, 
uh, we can actually have these things talking because we have like a sound. So you can actually have a microphone in the robot where somebody in the control room is actually monitoring the entire thing. So you can actually have that as well. <laughs> just to, to <laughs> now we're talking. Sign me up. I'll buy three of them. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, place your order tomorrow. Uh, so to address your question on the snowy stuff. So yes, uh, and that's that's the safety piece that if we see that there's a severe weather condition, it's not safe to drive, we would not do that just because we want to take maximum safety precautions. A human driver could choose to do that uh, and depending on, it's, it's a risk at the end of the day and it depends on client to client, person to person, driver to driver. But I can just speak for our technology that we would put a threshold beyond which we would uh, say, okay, it's not safe enough to drive beyond a certain set of threshold of snow on the roads. Nice. I mean, the best way to deal with fear, too, and fear about autonomous vehicles is to actually have these conversations and, and talk about it. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And get that out there. And we, thank you gotcha. so much for, for gotcha. sharing with us what your company does and, and answering some of our uh, some of the ins and outs of it all. If people want to learn more, where should we send them to? Uh, you can send them to uh, newport.ai or email us at contact at newport.ai. So Beautiful. I get all the emails, so I'll just directly reply right away. <laughs> Thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. Take it easy and have a great Thanks. weekend. Thanks a lot, guys. It's Thank you. Sadie knows a little bit about Trucker Response. She spent a lot of time at CDL Life. She's uh, she's now a recruiter for NFI. Sadie Church, Thank you for joining us. You've probably published a few articles on autonomous trucking on CDL Life and she seen the uh, the comment section from truckers, right? Yes, we absolutely have. How are you doing today, Sadie? It's good seeing you. Doing great. Thanks. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me. You know, we were just talking about solving yeah. that problem of filling the seats in trucks, and it's been it's been a big challenge. It's always a big challenge, but in tight markets, mm-hmm. it's always it's an even bigger one. Um, how have things been going over at NFI in, in terms of trying to fill those seats? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge right now. Um, you know, we're doing all that we can to reach drivers in new ways, trying new techniques and things like that. But yeah, it's but it's good. I, it's been a challenging year. Yeah, I bet it has. Sadie, do you buy, do you buy the, the, the argument that uh, AV will uh, just bridge that gap between uh, the number of uh, empty seats out there and the available drivers? Or do you see it as, I, as a disruptor and taking away jobs? What's your view on that? I, th- I see it as a, as a disruptor. Um, and I, I do think it's further in the future than, than what we're anticipating. Yeah, I would agree with you, Sadie. I think that it it's something that is going to happen eventually, yeah. but not really in the near term. And I don't think it's going to impact rates or, or capacity that quickly that mm-hmm. you need to just drive around every day fearful and, and sort of angry about it. But you, sh- you should be aware. You might want to do some other skill training. I'm not, I'm not really sure. It'll open up new opportunities for people, too, who want to work on the technology side of that business. Sadie, you have, um, you've had a pretty long career in this business. And I know that pretty soon you're – are you a Jersey girl? Are you moving back to New Jersey soon? And well, I'm currently living in New Jersey. I'm moving back to the Midwest. Midwest. Where are you from? Kansas City. Nice, nice. So, nice. Talk, talk to us. What, 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 what have been some great moments from uh, your career so far at CDL Life? I'm a huge fan of CDL Life because they tend to cover a lot more of like the weirder stories in trucking, like just weird things that happen on the road. And so I read it uh, every day. But you've probably, and I, I know that when you were there, you used to be out in the field a bit too. So, what are some of the fun mm-hmm. projects you've been a part of there? 
Yeah, CDL Life definitely was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, building a driver community that was very driver specific. Um, when we entered the space, we really looked to kind of fill that hole, right? We wanted to be the one-stop shop for drivers where they could find um, not only news and information that's important to them, regulations they need to know about, road closures, weather weather issues. We also wanted them to be able to, um, you know, take a break, have read some entertaining articles, watch some funny videos, um, you know, get some recipes for easy to cook meals, things like that. So we just really tried to fill those those holes that we saw um, that some of the other publications weren't doing at the time. Uh, Sadie, I re- I'm really interested in the in the in the recruiting aspect <laughs> of things. I, I really am. There's so much to talk about there mm-hmm. because it's such a big thing right now. We've yeah. got we've got mm-hmm. truck orders and capacity order for new capacity mm-hmm. at record levels and coming on. And then the big question is, okay, when this capacity comes, it's gonna you know hit the it's gonna hit the road. Is it going to hit the road? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? We're having trouble recruiting. Is it going to come back? Are the Mm -hmm. schools going to open and suddenly you're going to be able to recruit like crazy? I I don't think so. I think we're, I think we're going to be hurting for a little while, but I do think that there are things that companies can do better. Um, You know, we can do a better job leveraging our drivers um, to tell our story. We can do a better job with our advertising. We can do a better job with our branding to get our message out there. I do think there are some things that we can do. Um, and I've also noticed that a lot of companies have, you know, I was talking to a, another friend who said, oh, you know, we're, we're really struggling. So they've decided they're really going to focus on retention, right? If you're just now starting well, on <laughs> focusing on retention, you're kind of late to the game. Yeah, I saw um, that too. I, I laughed. I was like, no kidding. <laughs> retention. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I think uh, what so many companies don't fully understand is that retention and recruiting are they go hand in hand, right? On the front end, of, and front end of things, your recruiters need to have all the the accurate information for the job. Make sure they're they're conveying that information to the driver. The driver is fully prepared for what he or she is getting themselves into with that position. And then on the the back end, we need to do all that we can to retain that driver. So that driver, we don't make that driver mad, and then that driver then goes and posts negative reviews that maybe one of your possible recruit re, possible recruits sees in the future. Hiring is tough. You 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 can meet some characters. Do you, uh, do you have you ever met any strange recruits uh, while doing this? <laughs> I've met some very interesting people, and I've also met some people who will be lifelong friends. Yeah. I bet, I, bet, I bet you have. Let me ask you this about autonomous vehicles, though, right? So it's going to be a while, and I agree with you, for it to start disrupting things. But that begs the question to me is really um, – New recruits looking at this think, okay, well, shoot fire. I'm not going to get into this and be able to retire f- from it because it's going to be two, three decades, and then they're going to be yeah. all over the place, right? Is is you think that's a hindrance to new people? Do you think that's on their mind, not going into it, seeing that eventually it's just not going to be there, so I'm not going to get into this game because I'm not going to be able to retire from it? I don't think that's the biggest part of it. I think the biggest part of it is is we're missing that age of drivers when they graduate high school to when they're eligible to drive over the road, uh... right? But, but But in that time period, they probably have found another job, found another trade, gotten married, whatever the case may be. And then suddenly they don't want to start a new career, you know, with with a young family at home or when once they've already started a career. Is that a very common thing that you're you're hearing when you're trying to recruit? Because another big theme that's been going on is Final Mile has been stealing a lot of drivers from the pool as well. They want right. control over their day, control over their routes, not being that far mm-hmm. from home. Is that That's probably going to be something you have to contend with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I think uh, what I've seen a lot of companies doing is they're reorganizing, um, you know, 
planning better to get drivers home more often. So I think that trucking companies are are rising to the challenge um, and creating better routes that provide drivers with better home time and better opportunities to be home more often with their families. But I still think as an industry, we have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So Sadie, it would, uh, for being uh, in, in the recruiting game, it would, it would sound like you might be a proponent of, of changing those laws and, and so that we can uh, tap into that pool of potential drivers right out of, right out of uh, high school. Uh, is that true? And what are your concerns maybe with the uh, safety, et cetera? What are the arguments that are there and, and where are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would be a big advocate for for lowering the age, for sure. If you could get into high schools, you know, really start talking to students and get them on the right career path. I could see um, I could see advocating for stricter um, truck certifications, um, you know, longer class time, more mm-hmm. over the road training, things like that, I think would be necessary. Yeah, I mean, so we lengthen the training, but go for the younger and, and tap into it. Yeah. Well, college is sold to high school kids. The trades aren't sold to high school kids. So it's at right. a disadvantage. As Sadie's yeah, saying, they've true. already had four years or, or marketing since they were they were kids. And also, like, I I know my parents came from a generation where, like, a lot of them, were the, it was, like, the first time they went to college in their yes. family. So it was yes. very important for my generation to go yes. to school, especially for, to make them proud. But I think you're seeing a sea change in the newer generation of parents coming and realizing the exorbitant costs of what college is becoming. But we talk about it. Are we actually doing anything about it? I'm not really, yeah. I'm not really sure. Sadie, um, you're, you're always a pleasure. We got, before you go, we got to well, spin you. the, we got to spin the wheel oh, okay. for her though, because um, spin it around. Ready? Do it. Do it faster. Put your mic to it so we can hear it go around. All right. Sadie, what would, and you're going to have to use your marketing background for this one. What would be a terrible slogan for a freight company? Oh, gosh. Putting me on the spot here. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible slogan. I'll give you some inspiration. How about uh, service as boop as you can stand? Yeah. (laughs) Um... When it absolutely positively has to get there sometime in a not too distant future. (laughs) (laughs) Sadie, we'll let you off the hook. We'll let you off the hook. It's the weekend. All right. Uh, People want to reach out, though. They want to talk to Sadie. Where should we send them? Um, Send them to LinkedIn. Sure. Right on. Look her up. Sadie Church on LinkedIn. Sadie, have a great weekend. Take it easy. Thanks, Sadie. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Sure. Take care. We haul, you pay us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) well well, you wait we have your freight yeah that's exactly we lost your the higher the price the worse the service yeah yeah (laughs) all right let's get into some good news bad news let's do it bad news There it is. There it is. All right, beautiful. It's my favorite sound effect in the world. Someone on here, someone in the comments, what was this guy saying about diesel fuels? <laughs> I, want, I meant to read this, for, read this for a while, but we've been in, uh, we've just been in constant conversations. But he, yeah. oh, sniffing diesel fumes for 30 years will fry your brain cells. That's what Paul Cameron says. I'm not really sure what that's that's does, in reference to. Does he to, have but, the uh, data to back that up? Yeah. Does he, does he have a test group that he used? To, 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 to. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, so we've been talking about this a lot. The good news is there's a ton of job openings in trucking. You want to join this yeah. industry? Not going to be hard. A lot of okay. companies upping their bonuses and stuff like that. Here's the bad news. There's not many people willing to take them. 
In a recent Randall Riley study, truck job postings in 2020 rose by more than 300,000, but job seekers only rose by 70,000. Data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows the dramatic decrease prior to the pandemic. Trucking companies have not been able to increase their driver labor force back to those pre-COVID highs. Where are the drivers going? Many are moving to Final Mile, where we just talked to Sadie. They can control that distance from home. On FreightWaves.com, Grace Sharkey has a full report on this, so I implore you to read the whole thing. But big issues, big issues with recruiting. Yeah, no, there definitely is. All right, so here's the other good news, my friend. Here's yeah. some good news. The White House has released their infrastructure report cards. Yeah, about time. Somebody, somebody's going to get some free McDonald's. Remember when you used to do a, that? I'm... You bring an A, you get a free smoothie or if something? If I get an A, I get to go to the Chattanooga Zoo. There you go, if yeah. you get an A. The problem is, you're West Virginia, my friend, where 1,500 bridges are like oh. going to fall over at any second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so these two states received all Ds, the latest scores in the continental U.S. The lowest scores. Yeah, the low. Oh, sorry, the lowest scores in the continental U.S. According to the report and CDL Life, Delaware, where there are 19 bridges and over 250 miles of highway in poor condition since 2011, commute times have increased five percent in Delaware, and on average. You, as a driver, pay $456 per year in cost due to driving on roads in need of repair. Wow. West Virginia, my friend, 1,545 bridges and over 3,200 miles of highway in poor condition. Since 2011, commute time's up 6.4%. Average pay per year for a driver, $726 because of roads in need of repair. Uh, Delaware, this is a crazy thought here, but you, I mean, you have like six billion companies registered in Delaware. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe you uh, can Delaware find some money with them. Common. I mean, maybe they won't come there anymore, but I, <laughs> for, people are incurring $456 a year damage to their car. What is going on? I, I don't know. You're, you're absolutely right. It's like a, a Delaware company's pretty common phrase, right? <laughs> We're in Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> and Delaware's got what, like That's a very 700 miles in, in roads or something? It's got too many. <laughs> too many. Well, I mean, I could see West Virginia, 726 per year in cost due to driving on roads that are unkept. I mean, I could believe that. Well, it's pretty rough. Appalachia, just driving yeah. through the trail. Dude, if you've driven the turnpike there. Oof. All right. Well, yeah. good news. Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, and Nebraska are taking part in coordinated enforcement efforts targeting Drugged drivers as part of a campaign dubbed, if you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DWI. <laughs> Click it or ticket was better. Click it or ticket was better. I mean, that, that's a little wordy, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit to put on the bridge signs. Yeah. It's a bit to read. Because if you read that, your eyes are off the road and then you smash it into a bridge abutment. Don't be that guy. Don't drive high. That might be catchier, right? Yeah, don't drive high. Don't be that guy. Don't, be don't that drive guy. high. Don't drive high. Don't be that guy. That's what I would go Drive with. high and die. But here's the thing. So some of this stuff is obvious, right? You're like, okay, yeah, I shouldn't smoke a J before I drive the truck, right? Or, yeah. I, you know, I should put the, the, the crack pipe away or whatever it is. Well, here's, here's what's interesting. Hands-free off- crack pipes only. Well, yeah. Right? But what officers <laughs> say they'll be targeting drivers who are under the influence of both illegal and legal drugs, including over-the-counter medicines like cold medicine and sleep aids. So I guess be careful if you get inspected. I don't know. Maybe don't keep your Robitussin in, in plain view or don't, you know, robo-trip before you take a trip. <laughs> right? Yeah, read the back. Do not operate, operate heavy machinery, my friends. There's, there's what do you think that out. means, though? I mean, are there a lot of... Uh, it what, means people like me who have allergies, and yeah. when I take, like, a, a, a Benadryl, I go to... I, I'm 
I know. totally out of it, should not be driving. But can you get, can, you can't get busted just driving Benadryl in the truck, can you? Yeah, probably not, but if you're swerving all over the place and running into bridge abutments, you probably can get arrested. I mean, they treat you like a criminal when you're buying the Sudafed anyway. But yeah, they certainly do. They sure do. They certainly do. In some cases, it's warranted. Here's some, here's some bad news, my friend. There is a mysterious creature lurking in the trees near an apartment building in uh, Krakow, Poland. Wow. Residents, Release the Krakow. Resident, <laughs> Release the Krakow. Residents are scared stiff, man. This thing is jumping from tree to tree. It's attacking people. It's out of control. What, what, like, what's happening here? Well, they called the Animal Welfare Society, finally came into this, because, I mean, this is like, you know, the Yeti or something is, yeah. is just destroying this building and defacing the, the sides of the building and everything. And they, what they found out, it's actually a, uh, it's a, a croissant. What? A croissant. What? Which is not a... <laughs> wait, so, a pastry. Wait, a so croissant, bro. Wait, it was so a it was croissant like, hanging in a tree. Was it in an animal's mouth? It was not. It, it was. Uh, it was not. All right, I, I you were in more danger from a sloth, actually. <laughs> is it, so it was like a mass hysteria incident. Yes. Like someone's like, whoa, what is it? it's weird. Why? Why would they be so afraid of a croissant? Like it's not moving. Uh, maybe it maybe was, the wind was. Moving. Maybe it was stale. I, I don't know. I don't maybe know. Maybe it was precariously perched on a on a limb and could hit somebody in the head, and it was stale. And I've been, you know, I've been chasing down a story all week. I've been talking to Emily Zink, our, our former GM of content. And she oh, yeah, I remember her quite well. She's over at the Cincinnati yeah. Police Department. And uh, in Cincinnati, there's those monkeys in the graveyard. That people spotted a bunch of monkeys Yeah, it's like a week. big thing in Cincinnati, it's right? It's a big thing. Yeah. It's like the biggest story in Cincinnati. Bigger it than is. the Reds, bigger than the Bengals. <laughs> of course. That's not hard to do. Really. Not hard to do. But, <laughs> but, but apparently there's a bunch of monkeys there. Yeah. Or, but people thought they saw monkeys. But in this incident, Emily tells me that the, that the, the animal people, you know, like how they sent out, they're like, yeah, oh, they're animal that's welfare not, to people that's come not yeah, cryptozoological yeah, yeah. animal. Ooh, that's a croissant. There's monkeys in, in, the, in the graveyards. Did they it's take crazy. a baker out there to verify that, too? Yeah, yeah, they like, did. Do a little uh, DNA test. Uh, croissant. That's how I do it. Like, yeah, they, like gold to see if it's real. <laughs> like the croissant. A little stale, though. It was flaky uh, and buttery. But no, she says it's turkey. So a lot of people don't know this, but turkeys roost up in trees. When they sleep, they sleep like up in trees. Like wild turkeys or like butterballs? Like, like frozen turkeys? Like bottles of it? No, it, like tur- real turkey, like real. Well, so at least these are live. So they think that not like in Poland where it's, it's just a croissant. <laughs> no, but th- there's live turkeys up in the trees. That's what they're saying. It was turkeys, but I don't know if it's a cover up. At like Monkey Gate, I'm not sure what's Ooh. happening over in Cincinnati. Other people Could think be. that it was probably someone who owned a collection of monkeys and they escaped from the house. Other people think that, like, I don't know if you know about this, monkeys are vicious. They'll rip your face off. So maybe the monkeys... And took, it's absolutely took, true. They yeah, will. <laughs> maybe there's a dead homeowner. And now there's like a, this wild gang of monkeys out on the street. It could be. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. I got to say, Emily didn't seem that concerned, so don't be too afraid. Yeah, who? so, yeah, don't panic she in said, Cincinnati. Who is, who? who is the World Health Organization? I don't know why my prompter says who. <laughs> Keyboard Cat's playing me off. Join us Monday when Bruno from CEO of FatJ.com's on. We got Debbie Ruin Sparks and Linda Hope again. They're authors of children's trucking book series, Trip Wheeler. Bart Ronan is the CEO of Trucks, the leader in dump truck logistics and technology. And we'll also have a very special guest. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duder, D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Have a great weekend. Tell him what to do. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.